Thank you for downloading this podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. You join us as we journey through the book of James. If you find these podcasts helpful and would like to know more about us, please visit our website, citychurchleads.net. We're coming to the end of this season in which we've been looking at the letter written by James. And today, you may have been expecting to see Kathy Kelly here. In fact, Kathy Kelly is here. <laughs> and actually, what you're about to hear is very largely the result of Kathy's work and preparation today. But Kathy's not been well. So Mark is actually going to come and share the benefit of what Kathy's been steeped in all this week. So what you're going to get this morning is really a team effort. I was going to say Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but it's Mark, Kathy and the Holy Spirit. But I, w- I want, as Mark comes, I'd like us just to appreciate him and be open in our heart to receive as, as, we, as we listen, but to also appreciate Kathy for the work that she's done. In, what, in fact, Mark is just the mouthpiece, really. It's a bit like Aaron and Moses, isn't it? Yeah. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, that would be true, wouldn't it, Kathy? Yeah, great. Every week, to be honest. Yes, we all know that. Fooling really. you all. <laughs> great. Let's give Markham and Kathy round of applause. Great. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to read you something. Now, if you're on Facebook, you'll have, you might have already caught it. Um, it's from Rick Warren. Rick Warren does a blog. It's, I think it's called The Pastor's Toolbox. And uh, yeah, th- this one he did, Two False Assumptions to Leave Behind When You Preach, is the, the, the little blog title. But there's one sentence from it which I, I loved, and I think it's quite uh, key this morning, considering that I'm just the mouthpiece for my wife over there. Um, preaching isn't about you, so stop focusing on being a star, the celebrity the eloquent master communicator out to impress your hearers. Instead, focus on the power of the gospel content to change lives now and for eternity. And uh, that really spoke to me because, I'll be honest, sometimes when you get up here to talk and to preach, sometimes you can, I mean, I did it a number of months ago, I apologized for the week previous because I thought I was appalling. And then subsequently, as the weeks went on, people went, I really enjoyed what you brought there. It really spoke. And so I thought it was really rubbish. Actually, the message, the content spoke loads to people. And so whoever gets up here to speak and however they communicate and however eloquent they are, however non-eloquent they are, listen to the message. Listen to the content of what they're telling you and what they're about to say, because that's what's important. That's the God-inspired bit. That's the bit that we really want you to listen to. I am just, as I'm Kathy's mouthpiece, I'm actually really God's mouthpiece this morning to you, the church, and to maybe those of you who don't yet believe and don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Hopefully through the words this morning, um, we can speak to both of you, those who believe and those who do not yet believe. All right, so um, today's, if you want to give it a title, is Patience is a Virtue. And uh, before I read the first chapter, the, this chapter, James 5, uh, I want to focus in on the stresses. And do you remember I talked about the stresses from the, the first week, and I gave you those stress balls for you to squeeze in case you felt stressed. Uh, and uh, Ben took them all for youth work, but never mind. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and the ones that are mentioned in this chapter are trials and adversity. And the stress and strain busters in this chapter are patience, perseverance, and prayer. So if we could please all turn with me to James 5, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you don't have that, you have another translation. It will be slightly different, but try and keep up if you can. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Ouch. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You, too, must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples in patience, in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. The sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Could just leave it there, couldn't I? Really? 
Let me just once again just remind you of the background of this letter, and a few of us have done that as we've gone over the last seven weeks. At the time of writing, James is addressing primarily people of Jewish upbringing with recently acquired Christian faith. These guys were experiencing severe persecution by the hands of their leaders. And they also would have been in deep mourning because of the death of a loved and respected leader, Stephen, who was stoned to death. And have a look in Acts 7 for that. Almost all Christians, except uh, for the apostles such as James, would have been driven from their homes in Jerusalem and scattered to other places. They'd likely lost their homes, possessions, and normal means of income. They would have been separated from family and friends, and they would have been suffering trials of many kinds. So that's the context within which this book was written, and it's the context of the day. But the book of James is still so relevant to us in these times in which we live. Continual adversity can be like a dripping tap, slowly driving us to despair, somebody said. James says, don't give up, be patient, persevere, remember Job and Elijah. So let's have a quick look then at Job and Elijah. So Job is the model of patience, perseverance, and overwhelming suffering. He endured long, but he prayed for his friends, and he saw his circumstances change. Suffering entered Job's life. However, perseverance was Job's response. And because of this, blessing came from God, who is full of compassion and mercy. Look at Job 42, verses 8 through 16, in particular, if you want to find out more. James, as we've heard in the previous week's uh, this series wants us to grasp the message of grace. That God gives good gifts because he is full of compassion and mercy. And his character is gracious. We, as Christians, can be patient in suffering and should consider trials great joy because of this assurance that God will give wonderfully good gifts through hardships, even through hardships. Elijah was a man who called on God in the face of adversity, refused to give up, was patient and persistent, and through the power of prayer, overcame his impossible situation. And you can read more about that in 1 Kings 18. Let me ask you this. What other examples of patient or impatient men and women of the Bible can you think of? Shout out. Give me an example of... Saul was impatient. So that's one. Any more? Can e Simeon? Patient? Anybody else? Okay. Great stuff. Any more? Noah? Fantastic. Waited a long time. Who? Hannah. Patient. Joseph? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you my little one. Patient Noah. Joseph, Daniel, Moses, Jeremiah, David. Impatient, Abraham, Jonah, Naaman, the Israelites. The society in which we live, which we all live, is a very impatient one. 
where demands are, to, are expected to be met immediately. Everything must be instant. From instant print, instant coffee, instant potatoes, to instant cash. It's the age of the microwave mentality. Whatever it is, I must have it now. So often we can approach God in the same way, with this same level of expectation. We want instant answers to prayer, instant changes to circumstances. Maybe we view God as some kind of cosmic vending machine. In goes our prayer, out comes the, the answer. And like a 24-hour courier service, delivery must be by next morning at the latest. Interestingly enough, when we did Alpha, uh, I think it was on prayer. When we did, was it on prayer? Yeah. We talked about patience, didn't we, Mark? Uh, within that, I mean, it was full of all sorts of stuff. But the one thing that a few of the guys really cottoned on was this patience thing. We have to be patient in response to prayer. And that was the thing we talked about for quite a while. Of all that we said about prayer, the thing that really bothered them was this, we've got to wait, we've got to be patient. And I think, for me, that reflects what I've just said and what Kathy wrote, is that we instantly see how quick can I be gratified, how quick can I get a response. Take a minute now just to think about your own day-to-day -day life your relationship with God and others, and about the times that you're most impatient. Just close your eyes if you want to. Just have a little think. Think about those times that you're most impatient. And we've all got them. <laughs> we can even become impatient with ourselves. I've heard so many parents say that they thought they were quite patient until they had children. Although, uh, ironically, on the opposing side of that, I was openly impatient and didn't have much patience until I had kids. And actually, having kids has taught me patience. Now, I do think that does have something to do with the fact that it coincided with me becoming a Christian over the last 10 years or so. So I reckon that the Holy Spirit probably had something to do with that as well. Think about this. Think about how do you respond to traffic jams? Not well. I hate traffic jams. Classic FM. What, you hate classic FM? Or you, you, I'll give it a go next time. So, Top tip, classic FM if you're stuck in a traffic jam. Stop your <laughs> queues in shops. I hate queuing for stuff. That's why I bear everything off the internet. Just, just delivered to my door. I know it's coming. Think about that when you shopping around this Christmas and you're rushing to buy one thing and the other. How impatient you might get when you're stuck in a queue. How do you respond? Someone for me. How do you respond when someone else is late to meet you? <laughs> How do you respond when someone else is late to meet you? <sighs> Pointing right at myself on that one. What about when you're waiting for an important letter? You know, and again, I know myself, I go out and I open the letterbox at least four or five times. <laughs> and I haven't seen him, I can see him coming, I say he's not come, but I still check. Maybe he's done like a sneaky ninja attack from the other, the other side, the neighbor's 
path or something. I don't know, but I check numerous times. I often, actually, just uh, maybe you're waiting for a check to arrive in the post. I've got to say, I'll be honest, a lot of the days, I, I, when I know the postman's been, I go, please be a check, please be a check, please be a check. There's no reason for me to get a check, I just want a check. A big one with lots of zeros. You don't have to send me a check, although I won't rip it up. Um, interestingly, interestingly, this word patience comes from two Latin words. <clears throat> pateo, pateo, meaning I suffer, and sensio, meaning with sense. So patience, and we get that word, can be extended to say facing suffering sensibly. And I like that, don't you? Patience, facing suffering sensibly. We can't make sense of life instantly. And it's hard to make sense of our own suffering unless it's self-inflicted. We can't demand immediate explanations and instant interventions and solutions, can we? Instead, we've got to take on God's perspective. Drawing on His supply of compassion and mercy that enables us to persevere. Practically, patience is the capacity to calmly endure emotional, physical, and spiritual discomfort and this willingness to wait while it runs its course. Now, this doesn't mean that we resign ourselves in a fatalistic way, but that we learn to draw on God's resources to endure it with grace and persevere with courage. Patience must be learned in the midst of adversity, and it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, as I just said earlier, that is worked in us and through us. We're to be an example of patience. That's how it works through you. You're an example to others of patience. And I would say patience is most definitely not a passive character trait. It's not a passive character trait. Isaiah 48.10 from the English Standard Version of the Bible says this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And Psalm 66 verses 10 to 12 from the English Standard Version says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, you brought us out to a place of abundance. This process of going through adversity develops character, steadfastness, and endurance. Paul puts it like this in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Steel is forged in the furnace, tempered on the anvil. The mighty oak 
grows best on a windswept hill, exposed to the elements and the winds and the rain. The blast of storms forces it, uh, forces its roots deeper and its branches grow stronger. The farmer can't hurry his crop. He toils, breaking up the fallow ground, waiting diligently during the long, harsh, dark winter months. There is a work of God going on in the bleakest times. Even though we may not recognize it, like the farmer, we must be willing to work, wait, and trust. Ephesians 3.17 says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. It is our trust in God during trials and adversity that's the key here. Like that oak tree, as we trust in God, even when battered about by the storms of life, our roots will go down deep and His love will keep us strong. Not only are we to patiently endure the adverse things that happen along our journey of life, but we're also to wait actively with patience, wait actively with patience until the Lord's return, just as the farmer waits for the rains to water his crops. James goes on to talk about prayer. He says that if you are in trouble, pray. If you are sick, Get the elders to anoint you and pray. Confess your sins. Pray for each other. He says we must pray righteously with pure motives. Pray earnestly with passion. Pray persistently and constantly. Then we must believe the promises. The prayer of faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Their sins will be forgiven. Righteous prayer is powerful and effective. Earnest prayer brings results and persistent prayers open the heavens. Remember Elijah's prayer for rain. After three and a half years of no rain, the heavens literally opened. We are to pray in all circumstances. Prayer is one of the most obvious features which differentiates a Christian from other faiths. James highlights four practices of effective prayer. Now, I'd write these down if I were you, or mentally note them very strongly. One, we should call upon the elders of the church for prayer. If you are sick, call upon the elders to pray for you. That in itself is an expression of faith. The fact that the elders are called in is an expression of submission and unity in the church. Number two, we are to pray in the name of the Lord. This expresses submission to God himself. That is about praying in union with Christ and calling on his power. Three, very simply, we are to offer prayer in faith. We are to offer prayer in faith. 
believe that as you open your mouth or as you pray with your heart, things will change. And four, we must pray united as repentant sinners. We should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another. There's nothing quite like knowing when people come up to you and tell you that they have been praying for you. I mean, the, the effectiveness of their prayer, you, you will experience, you will feel, you will see. But when somebody tells you that they've been praying, you, you're on cloud nine. Wow. And then you pray for them, you pray for others. You know, it's a, a circle, isn't it? Prayer is a learned habit. And was such a part of Jesus' life that the gospel tells us that he prayed early in the morning, Mark 1.35, during the day, Luke 5.16, in the evening, Mark 6.46, and all night, Luke 6.12. The impact that this had on the disciples was so great that they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And in response, Jesus gave them this model prayer, which we show pretty much every Sunday after the countdown. And you can find it in Luke 11, verses 1 to 4. It goes something like this. Pray it with me if you want. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive any, everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we know this prayer as well. The Lord's Prayer. But really... It's the disciples' prayer because he gave it to them. If you know someone who struggles with prayer or even if it's yourself that struggles with prayer, just follow the disciples' lead and ask God to teach you how to pray. Don't look at how anybody else prays. Don't look at the long words or the short words that they use or the, the time of which they pray. That is not important. That's for them. That's prayer. That's their prayer life with God. You ask God, how do you want me to pray? At least you're praying. <laughs> you're learning the habit. It could be two seconds long. It could be four hours. Don't really care. Just ask God how he wants you to pray and have a conversation with him. I think as we've seen, James is really practical in this letter. That's probably why I love it so much. In this chapter, he recognizes there will be stresses and strains, trials and adversity. But I think you can agree, he gives us keys to overcoming in Christ. However, despite these keys that Jim's, uh, James, Jim, <laughs> I know him so well, uh, <laughs> that James gives us, some folk may succumb to the stresses of strains of life and become overwhelmed by them. And do you know what? 
James encourages the rest of us not to write these people off. And he tells us to go after them. James 5.19, verses 19 and 20 from the message says it wonderfully. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you'll have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. And that spoke to me just as I reread it this morning and just right now. That if we see brothers and sisters wandering off, beginning to live a life away from God, you have a responsibility to, with God's grace, just bring them back. Because what you don't want to see is people following suit. Not following suit that you're bringing them back and you're praying for them, but they're going to start wandering off from God as well. Just imagine if um, a family member, a dad or a mom, family of three, suddenly starts wandering off. Who's he or she then going to start affecting? What was one solid faith, maybe in their wife or their husband or their, their three children who were all solid in their faith? And then all of a sudden, a family can start to break down. It's like that with the wider family, I think. You know, that we are a family. You guys who visit us once in a while, you know, you are our brothers and sisters. If you are fellow believers in the faith, we are a family and we do not want people wandering off from that because others will look and listen. And maybe as they're going through their trials and adversity that they can't quite stomach, they'll start wandering off too. So pray for those people who, who are no longer walking the path, as it were. Going off your, your scripts, Kath. I'll, I'll come back on. <laughs> Where am I? Here we go. There's one more thing that I, stroke Kathy, want to draw out of this chapter. And it's from verse 12. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin sin and be condemned. I try and teach our kids, don't don't promise that you will do something. Because by promising, Saying, I promise I will do that, in, in our eyes, myself and Kathy's eyes, what they're saying is, there's a potential they might not. There's a potential they could lie, or there's a potential they could... No, you just you let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to promise, because if you're a believer, if you've got Christ living in you, then there should be no other way of expressing your yes and your no. I don't, you don't promise to do something because you're going to do it because you're a believer. That's who you are. It's the very essence of who you are. So I want us to be resolute, not double-minded or two-faced. Mean yes when you say yes and no when you mean no. And some of us can find it difficult to say no. Think about whether this, this is you. Because maybe you've grown up in a culture of being a people-pleaser. Those people harbor maybe an underlying fear of rejection if they don't say yes. Or they feel guilty when turning people down. Or maybe you're the other side. Maybe you're this. You could be neither. Maybe you are this. Others find it hard to say yes and commit themselves. Having grown up maybe in a culture of humiliation and ridicule. And they maybe harbor an underlying fear of failure 
and their sense of inadequacy. So they'll always say no. It's time for some of us to face those fears, to bring them. It's times like this I really wish we had a cross. I know we're all new and non-denominational and all that, and we're not religious, but there's something powerful about the cross. And, you know, if I could just say to you, if you had a cross somewhere, just come and bring those things to the cross and leave them there because it's been dealt with. Maybe we'll get a cross. I don't know again. Surrender them to the cross. Experience the release of saying no instead of saying yes just to please people. And for others, instead of automatically just saying no, to be able to say yes and to commit themselves. In everything, ask for God's wisdom and he'll give it to you. No matter how small the thing that you need wisdom for. James 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. We're going to get practical. John's just going to share something briefly, but we're going to get practical in a little while. There's going to be people amongst us here this morning. There's 50 odd of you here. There's a few now less that have gone downstairs. There's 50 odd of you here. And you might be facing, you might be facing adversity in life right now. Could be job stuff. Could be money stuff. Could be family stuff. Whatever. Could be anything. Could be health stuff. Could be psychological stuff. But there'll be some of us in here facing those things. And as I said before, we are a family of God. We are made righteous in Christ. Therefore, we can pray righteously and earnestly for our brothers and sisters, knowing that our prayers are powerful and effective. So just before I go into this bit, John, can you share what you were going to share? Because I think it's encouraging and will help us in this next stage of the morning. Uh, yesterday, Kate and I were down at Nettle Hill uh, for an Envision Day. And uh, one of the parts of the day that was really, really encouraging was listening to some of the testimonies. Uh, and I said to Mark, knowing that we were going to be looking at James 5 this morning, um, there were some stories of people who had been healed. Uh, and I just thought, wouldn't it be good for us just to hear some of those? simply because um, God does not change. Uh, and we, we all are blessed uh, and encouraged in our faith when we hear what God has done with other people. Um, uh, I've asked Kate to join me because my memory is, uh, is shocking and Kate will paint in the detail. We introduce ourselves every morning. <laughs> it is getting bad, honestly. Sounds like yeah. you guys need prayer. Yeah, healing of the memory. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, to move on. These were stories. One was from Dave Bunting, who is in Chesterfield, and the other is from a guy called Paul Callan, who is in Loughborough. Uh, and interestingly, I think in both situations, um, they have in themselves been knowing, knowing that God wants to express himself towards people. He wants to be able to 
do the kind of stuff that we see in the New Testament there. Um, but if this gospel is real, it does actually impact people's lives in a supernatural way. And so I would say both of those guys and the, the people with them have been on this bit of a journey, really, to, to see, God, we, we just believe that you want to touch people. And we want to see the, you know, the, the miracle, the sign and the wonder, the demonstration of the power of God. Not, not for the, you know, whatever you call it, not, not for the spectacle, but knowing that that's the heart of God. Anyway, um, Dave was telling us a couple of stories. Um, do you want to take the first one? Mm-hmm. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, this uh, story actually has two ladies called Amy in it. Um, the first lady is a nurse and had had, uh, I think, certainly a, a minor heart attack. And she'd gone to hospital for an angiogram and it had become evident that she needed surgery. And uh, Dave prayed. Um, I'm sure other people were with him, but I can't remember who. Um, and so this Amy went back to hospital and was actually on in theater about to be operated on, and of course they could see on screen the area that was to be operated on. And a couple of nurses were kind of covered in confusion because they were looking at something that wasn't right in the sense that there was absolutely nothing that needed operating on. So she walked out of the hospital completely well, completely restored, uh, not needing any operation, and Brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) The second Amy was a young girl aged 20 who, because of um, an inherited uh, genetic malfunction, had extremely poor, a, a very, very diseased mouth, poor gums. And the dentist had said to her, um, we're going to actually have to take all your teeth out at the age of 20. Just imagine that. Um, and she was distraught. Um, she was not a Christian, but had come into the, into the church. And I forget, quite honestly, I forget whether first she gave her life to God or whether Dave prayed first. In a way, doesn't matter. Uh, Dave prayed and then went back uh, with her to the dentist for the first of these procedures she was going to have to undergo. And uh, the dentist looked into her mouth and said, hmm, would you like the good news? Um, and then said, um, we're not going to have to take some of your teeth out. <clears throat> In fact, we're not going to have to take any of your teeth out. And her mouth had been completely, completely restored. She actually apparently needed, what, three was it three little fillings? Yes. <laughs> Dave, who had accompanied her, stood in the corner and wept. And she, by now, clearly knew God. <laughs> knew God had touched her because she rushed into reception, flung her arms around the receptionist. Said, God's healed me. God's healed me. Wow. And um, the wonderful thing was that... Um, Gareth, whom some of you will know, added to that testimony, God has healed her mouth to fill it with testimony. 
And I sometimes think our mouths, actually our mouths are full of testimony. They are full of the recognition, I will stop in a minute, of the good things, the good things that God's done. Let's open our mouths regularly and give testimony to the good things that he's done. So that was the first two. Brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant, yes. Uh, I think it would be true to say that both uh, Dave, who was telling the story, and Paul, who I'll tell you about in a second, um, have been very much on this journey, you know. So Dave, when he went into the, uh, the dentist's surgery with this young lady, he went there to support her, knowing that, you know, the emotional pressure of what she was about to undergo was enormous. So I think it was almost as much of a shock to him when the dentist said, you don't need any, you know, any of this work. So um, I don't want anybody to get the idea that this stuff is just sort of breezing through and there's this other league of people that somehow do this stuff. Um, no, these guys are on their journey as well. Um, Paul Callan is one of the guys who's in the church in Loughborough. And uh, he himself has both personally and there in the church have been looking to see something of a, a, re, a restoring of the, the life of the spirit there amongst them as a congregation. Uh, he described it opening the wells of, uh, of their own history, if you like. Um, and he has been pressed on this whole issue about healing, and so it's something that he's been teaching on and preaching on there in the church. And uh, it came to a point where he thought, it's going to have to get real. You know, it's one thing to teach about it and preach on it. It's another thing, actually, to put your own life online and say, okay, right, we're going we're gonna to do this. You know. Anyway, he told us uh, two stories. One, of, one was of a guy um, who'd been a builder. I think that's right, isn't it, a builder? Yeah. yeah. Uh, who had been injured in a, what you might call an industrial accident about 20 years before. And he'd injured his spine. And he'd, for the last 20 years, he'd been in constant pain. And so he tried all kinds of, you know, he'd been through surgery, been through alternative, you know, medicine, chiropractic, and all that sort of stuff. And it, it really had made no difference at all. And so um, I don't know what the exact circumstances were, but anyway, ended up with this lad, this guy, being prayed for. And uh, Paul asked him the question. He said, so, all right, just tell us now, on the scale of 1 to 10... Ten being how things were, and one being kind of, or zero being, you know, complete freedom from any of the symptoms. Where are you now? And he said, about one. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um, Anyhow, there was a, there's, there's a woman in the fellowship there who is a, actually a, chi- a chiropractor, is that what you call it? Um, and she'd gone to this guy afterwards and said, I'd like to have another look at your back. And so what, uh, what he'd done during the course of that week, uh, he'd been to her, and whereas before there'd been no kind of impression that anybody could make, she apparently got her hands on his spine and just went click, 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 click. 
and all the final bits kind of just popped into place. Um, I don't understand how these things work. But somehow there was this, you know, that's how God decided to do it. And so um, I came back the following week and uh, you can imagine the comedy of this. Uh, he went up to, to Paul and he was going... <laughs> Paul was saying, no, 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 really, really, you mustn't. Um, and he's saying, no, no, I'm telling you, it's completely well. So that, that was one. Uh, the other was, no, I don't know what this is. Uh, Crohn's disease, do we know what that is? Um, it's what? A gut problem. Okay. Thank you. We well, see we have some learned people amongst us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, what Paul was saying was he was preaching on this one morning and he, he was feeling, let's say, encouraged by God to actually go for the demonstration there in the meeting. And, and so he, um, he had somebody in mind who he would approach and who he knew would be okay with, you know, them doing something publicly like that. And, um, I don't know what it was, whether they couldn't, they, they weren't available or something like that. But there was another guy, this other chap with uh, Crohn's disease. And he'd had it for years and years and years, and it got progressively worse. I'm, I'm pre- from what you're saying, it, is it termed fatal? Can it be? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was getting worse. And um, so he, he prayed for the, the guy, and... Um, this was interesting. He was simply saying that he asked him to say, so how is it now? Now, it's not one of those things, apparently, that you can tell a great deal immediately, just what the effect is. But he gave it some time, and apparently he came back to him and he said, um, the, the way in which the symptoms that I'm getting now are how they were 20 years ago. So this thing seems to have been on this upward or you know get it getting more intense or whatever but now it was on this decline and it reverted back to how it had been quite some time before you know can't explain i mean i don't know it may well be that that disease is progressively just leaving his body i don't know anyhow we're just wanting to share those things with you because um isn't it it's great isn't it just to hear about god yeah. doing stuff like that um, and to be encouraged in ourselves to know that he is about he is alive he is doing this kind of thing wonderful thank you guys